0: Amen. Thanks Daniel. Thank you Amanda, worship team. Good morning church. Super good to see you all this morning. It really is. Um, I know some are joining us online. We've got a lot of folks traveling. If you're joining us online, glad you're viewing, but we miss you. We'd rather have you here in person. Um, if you're visiting with us today, I uh, just hope that you would have some a sense of just feeling wanted here and accepted here and this would feel like home even if it's your first Sunday. Um, If you're looking for a church home, I'd love to just talk with you more about the church and answer questions that you have. And um, so as you head out today out in the commons area, there'll be different people out there with information, pastors and elders who would love to connect with you and just talk to you about the church and kind of hear how God brought you to Solid Rock today. Um, A couple of just quick announcements that I want to make before we get into 2 Peter 1. Last Sunday, I let you know that we were in the process of interviewing somebody for what we used to call the um, worship um, coordinator. We changed the title to um, production coordinator, uh, but we just had one interview left this past week, and I'm excited to get to announce to you uh, that we have hired J.D. Bone as our production coordinator, so if you would just join me in welcoming him. Uh, there he is. Um, here's a picture of J.D. with his family, with Brinley and Lila, his wife, Casey. He's a girl dad. Uh, so you, we already did this once, so you already know what's coming, but they don't. I know it was on purpose but now he's been prepped so I don't see Drew here today but one of his good friends used to be on the interview um, team back years ago and he rotated off and so I know you've already got the job but we missed some questions Um, there are questions this is like the final actually this is the final interview we've got three questions and if you get two out of three right you keep you get to keep the job luckily Luckily, we already know how this is going to go unless you change your mind They have no idea what we're about to do, so don't give it away. So, here here we go. Seriously, these are questions we used to ask in an interview, but once uh, Drew rotated off, these don't get asked anymore. But I need to know, uh, let's start, cats or dogs? Changing your answers, man. Okay, well, okay, okay, dogs, dogs all the way. Okay, so you got that one. All right, so far, so good. Uh, Salsa, cilantro or no cilantro? Okay, one-on-one. Okay, this is your last question to keep your job. This is a big time. This matters to the people out here, okay? Seriously. Chili. Beans or no beans? beans. All right, you get the job. All right, all right. Believe it or not, those are serious interview questions we used to ask. Um, Hey, welcome to the team. Anything you want to share with the church? that, you know, we'll be working with, and uh, just meet all of you, and share it with you, and uh yeah, just really excited, so yeah, if you're interested in the production of tech, come talk to me, <laughs> i got going <laughs> to have change these plug-in Absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> so, all right, well, we're excited to have you, man, Uh if you run into J.D. or his family, be sure and congratulate him on the position, he gets started Thursday, June 1st, get it. all right, man, thanks, J.D., <clears throat> and more exciting announcements, we had five new members in uh, the month of May, so let me introduce you to these new members. We have Aaron and Emily Parker, who are here in the first service, uh, but just memorize their faces, and when you see them next Sunday, be sure you welcome them to the family. Uh, Bailey Coyner, who is not here today, I don't think, he wasn't in the first service, and then Jason and Ashley Bruner, uh, he's the short guy over here on this side, you can't miss him. Uh, be sure and welcome all these to the family, we're glad to have you guys um, the Bruners are actually neighbors of mine, so this just kind of feels like a formality. We, we took you a long time ago, so glad to have you guys. Um, but as you run into any of the, the folks who are joining the church with multiple services, it's hard um, to really connect, so just, again, we'll run these slides next Sunday. And even if you don't know them, just go over and welcome them to the family. Let them know you're glad that they've joined the church and become part of Solid Rock. All right, so, um, we are in Second uh, Peter chapter 2. We're actually going to cover the whole chapter today. I'm not going to hit all the verses, um, but we will make it through the whole chapter. Um, So, what we're looking at is um, Peter is now writing in his letter a warning um, uh, for the church to acknowledge or to be aware of false teachers. And he's going to talk a lot about God's judgment towards false teachers. And so, this can be a really uncomfortable topic for us when we start talking about God's judgment. And so I want to lay out some of the reasons why it's uncomfortable. Um, First of all, for most of us, when we encounter judgment in the world, um, it comes at us separate from love, right? So if we experience judgment, rarely, if ever, um, is it coming out of a place of love. It's usually coming out of a place of condemnation or not meeting somebody's expectations or falling short or disappointing. And, And so for us, it's hard to imagine god's judgment actually coming out of a place of love now part of the reason for that is, as image bearers as humans we were not created to make judgments we weren't created um, with the hardware to process information and and make judgments or to condemn things matter of fact we were created with only the knowledge of that which was good so you think about that, after the fall, now Adam and Eve are processing not only what is good, but what, what, that which is not good. So I think of it this way, it's almost like trying to run uh, Apple software um, on an IBM uh, processor, right? So like the software, right, it kind of works, it's clunky, but as humans, we weren't meant to run that software. Judgment and condemnation were gods and gods alone. So when we do it as humans, we almost always mess it up, and so we get a skewed view of what God's judgment is and how it might be connected to actually His love. I was thinking about this um, coming. I grew up where in, in a time when corporal punishment was still a thing, and uh, and by corporal punishment, I mean at school. Not talking about mom and dad. Like we're educators, we're given permission uh, to spank and paddle. Um, at their discretion, students, and I was thinking, I was like, they actually got paid to spank. It was part of their job description, their responsibilities, and I graduated from a, a little 2 a school where notoriously, um, it was the ag teacher's um, goal every year to, to, to give every one of his students licks at some point. He was always looking for something, okay, and so I, I had a lot of fear around this, um, I didn't grow up with a dad in the home. I was really that was really a scary thing, and so I made it all the way. So I made it. I went to a big school growing up, and then no licks there. And then I went to this little school for a couple of years, and I had to take this guy's class. And I was like, I am gonna get licks. I made it to my last day of my senior year at Millsap High School, and I got licks. So. at the school I went to you weren't allowed to go off campus for lunch and so there were a few of my buddies we were like whatever we'll go off campus if we want to and so we did this all year long and it wasn't until the last day of my senior year we're strolling back into the parking lot and there is Mrs. Camp the principal and Coach Abernathy and he's got a paddle in his hand and we're like what is this I don't even want to park, like I'm just going to skip the last day, I'll catch you at graduation, and sure enough, we get out, the walk of shame, up to the front steps, I thought it was a joke, and Mrs. Camp said, I'll see you all in my office, and so I got my only licks at school, my last day of my senior year. I'm just sharing that story, because I think as we think about God, um, I think so many of us feel that way as we're living life, and we're just waiting on the day where we get caught, We're waiting on the day where finally he gets disappointed enough in us that he's going to punish us. And it may be that day where we step out of this life into the next, but at some point it's going to happen where we get caught, we get licks, we get the punishment of God, and we think about his judgment that way as maybe a principal or a person in authority who's just waiting, right? Just can't wait for you to mess up bad enough. And then he's going to take some kind of enjoyment I can still see coach Abernathy's face the enjoyment on his face as he gave us seniors licks and so there are a lot of reasons around why I think it's an uncomfortable conversation when we talk about God's judgment I think there's this idea of it's it's kind of skewed and we don't really understand it all and I'm just waiting on that day where he's sitting in the parking lot waiting on me and I'm finally gonna get it well in 2 Peter we're going to read the first three verses today and we're going to see that not only does judgment belong to God but there's this really clear idea that his judgment actually comes out of his love not in his hatred not in his condemnation not in his disappointment of us but his judgment actually comes out of his love for us so we pick this up in verse 1 But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Now I want to lay a little groundwork here for us. This is not the only place in the Bible that talks about false teachers or false prophets. And I want us to be careful when we read something like this that we don't just start applying it to everybody we disagree with god gets to determine what a false teacher is okay and so we're going to get a clear indication in this passage of what they were teaching that indicated they were false teachers and therefore recipients of god's judgment but one of the mistakes we make is we take a passage like this and we start just superimposing it on everybody who disagrees with us so we have to think about how our beliefs work as the christian church we have our core doctrine or our core beliefs these are the non-negotiables that identify our faith in connection to jesus and who he is and what he has done and these are the things we don't waver on Now, outside of that, we get to secondary issues and tertiary issues, and you just keep going on down the line until you get to the color of carpet and the style of music. All right, so just because somebody has a different view even of baptism than you, unless they're seeing baptism as a mode of salvation, if it's just a different mode, right, that's not our primary doctrine. And so what was happening in the church then is something had made its way into the center, the core of their beliefs. And, and I love what, what Peter does for us here. He actually says it really just simply. He says this, they were bringing destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. Now that statement is the center of what we believe as Christians. The identification as of as jesus as lord they were denying jesus as the master as the lord and that he had bought them this is the idea that jesus god's son came to earth to pay a price for us did you know that god has already paid a price for you and it was a really high price we think about things that matter to us and I've got a lot of things that matter to me and that mean something to me. And one of the things that means the most to me in my life is my family. My wife and my boys. And for for me to willingly give up one of my boys for something would mean whatever that thing is, is of high value. I can't think of anything. I don't think I would give up one of my sons for you. Actually, I know I wouldn't. Sorry. Sorry. Just, but what he's saying here is that they were denying Jesus as Lord, as master, the one who had bought them. Referring that God loves you so much that he paid a hefty price for you. How much? He gave his son for you to pay the price, right, for our sins, for us falling short. And so not only were they denying that, as we'll see in this chapter, they were denying God's judgment altogether. They were teaching this idea that there will be no judgment from God, so therefore you're free to do whatever you want. And here in this first three verses, we see the heart of God. Because this is the way it's described. These false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies that is not the idea that people are going to come to church and they're and and they're going to disagree with you whatever was being taught was destroying lives the word destructive here is not applied to buildings or cars or possessions it's describing human souls so whatever these false teachers were teaching peter says these teachings these heresies are destroying people killing people harming people they are destructive heresies and so god will bring upon them swift destruction and not only that verse 2 says many will follow them now i don't know how many parents we have in the room but if somebody were doing something to destroy the lives of one of your children, the appropriate response to that is anger. If somebody's destroying the lives of one of my children physically or otherwise, the proper response as a good dad is wrath. It's going to kindle something in me and it's go time. Right? Where does that come from? It comes from my love for them. The the anger of God is kindled out of his love for you. God is angry because somebody is teaching something that is destroying the lives of his children. You see that connection? God's judgment doesn't come out of his disappointment, God's judgment comes out of his love. And he's a good dad who will go to battle to protect his children every time and Peter says many of God's people are following them into sensuality and verse 3 says and in their greed they will exploit you exploit you God's people were being exploited and it kindles his wrath you see how that's the right for a good father to do I think the mistake that we make in a passage like this is we lose sight of being God's children God's fighting for us some of us don't fully believe the gospel we think we're still on the outside looking in and maybe some point God will let me in but I haven't been good enough so if he's getting angry at people who aren't part of his family he's got to be angry at me If you're in Christ, the gospel says you're in the family you've been adopted in. You are co heirs with Christ. God's anger is meant to protect you. What Peter does after this in verses 4 through 8 is he lists examples of God's wrath, God's anger, God's judgment. He first mentions the angels themselves. We don't know the whole backstory and all the details, but Satan himself was an angel. And Satan kicked. Satan desired to be God, and therefore God banished him from heaven and from, the, from his presence, from his glory, and from the presence of the other, other angels. Again, we don't get a lot of details on the backstory, but Peter mentions this here and says, hey, God held the angels accountable. He goes on to talk about the days of Noah. God held the people accountable in the days of Noah. Then he's going to mention this, that God held the people of Sodom and Gomorrah accountable. What I love in this, though, is he's not just running through a list of like, see, God's going God's to punish, God's going to punish. But in verse 9, he says, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. And so even as he's talking about all these displays of God's judgment, He mentions that Lot is rescued. So even in his judgment, there is mercy and kindness. Now, after this, verses 10 through 13, he describes these false teachers. They indulge in the lust of defiling passion. They despise authority. They are bold and willful with no fear of the Lord. They do all of this, listen to this, while they feast with you. So these aren't people on the outside of the church attacking those within. They're people who've, who've infiltrated the ranks. This is not a line of protesters out at the street with signs and a bullhorn yelling mean things at the people of God. These are people who've snuck into the church and we'll, we'll see in a minute people who even themselves looked like Christians at the beginning. But they've started teaching these false doctrines, these heresies that are destructive. Denying that Jesus is the master and denying that there would be any judgment at all. Verse 14 talks about how the false teachers will have eyes full of adultery. The false teachers will have an insatiable desire for sin. The false teachers will entice unsteady souls. And the false teachers have hearts trained in greed and that they forsake the way. So the audience that's receiving this letter are a group of Christians who are are suffering. They're being persecuted for their faith. There's a lot of pain just in their daily existence, a lot of fear, a lot of pain, a lot of discomfort, a lot of not knowing what comes next. And so he's, Peter's writing to encourage them. And so when you think about that setting, that context, we have these Christians who've been displaced. And now we've got people who are slipping into the ranks and begin to destroy them from the inside out. And the way Peter worries it, words it here is that these false teachers are enticing unsteady souls. They're taking advantage of the vulnerable and the weak. It kindles God's anger when people take advantage or exploit the vulnerable and the weak. And these false teachers were doing that. I want to settle in in verse 17 now. So Peter will go on to describe them with two metaphors in this verse. He says, these are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm that first description there Well, actually next week we'll come back and we'll talk about just briefly how christ is this spring of life that never runs dry but the way he's describing these false teachers with this metaphor is that essentially they're promising things but they don't deliver it looks like a spring where i should be getting water and nourishment but it's dry So I'm listening to their words, and it sounds good, sounds like it should be helpful, but when I actually lean into it, it leaves me empty. Like a waterless stream, it promises something it can't deliver. And then the second metaphor is this they're like a a mist that's being followed by a storm. So on the surface, they seem harmless just like a like drizzle like ah, maybe even pleasant if it's hot outside oh but rest assured church there is a storm brewing in the background they're gonna seem harmless on the front end but there's a storm coming with them that will harm you they are like a mist being driven by a storm Verse 18 says, For speaking loud, boastful folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping. They are going after the most vulnerable. And they're doing it by enticing them with sensual passions. That which feels good in the moment, but leaves you wanting. So, you got these people who are just dying. Some of them are separated from family. They're lonely. They're scared. They're holding on to their faith in Jesus. They're asking questions like, Does God still love us? And you have these false teachers who are slipping in and taking advantage of and exploiting and enticing the unsteady souls and those who are barely escaping from those who live in error it's that i get the imagery of like uh, the if you've seen the wildlife videos like over in africa where you've got a pride of lions and they're kind of stalking a herd of gazelles whatever it is i mean they don't go after the strongest fastest They'll 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 exploit the herd and look for the one who runs the slowest or has a limp, and then they all go after him. That's what's being described here. And so these false teachers are taking advantage of those who are barely escaping, those who are really vulnerable. In verse 19, here it is they promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption for whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. This is talking about our bondage to sin. And so they're promising freedom, they're promising relief. They're promising a sense of like, hey, I can, I can help with that. They're offering help, but they're not delivering. And instead of giving freedom, all they are all they are doing is enslaving you again, getting their hooks in you. This sounds a lot like what we might refer to in the modern day era as addiction, like using addiction to like grab a hold of somebody, something that promises temporary relief, it feels good, appealing to the to the flesh, and sensual kind of way and it makes me feel good in this moment and it feels like freedom from the thing I've been trying to escape from but then in the end what it gets its hook stuck in me that's what these false teachers are being compared to they promise freedom they promise relief but in the end all they have is slavery to corruption the good news of the gospel this gospel that they were denying is that only Jesus can actually set you free he who created you, your body, your mind your heart sometimes the healing process with Jesus is slow takes time right it's like you got two options person who's hurting, man I can take away that pain right now quick or we can do it the slow way (laughs) the gospel is oftentimes a slow process slow grind it's like a bone being healed in your leg right you've you've x-rayed it you know it's broke the doctor puts it back in place does he say now go get go back out there on the field and go get them no like you're gonna have to protect that thing for a while it's gonna take a while we're gonna want to x-ray that again and this is how God designed your body and guess what he designed your heart too So there's going to be an offer for the quick fix, the thing to make you feel better in the moment, but to walk with Jesus and find the real life-giving healing is going to take time. I shared a little bit of this in the first service, just offered up here, and even in my own story, um, I shared earlier with you that, like, I grew up without a dad, so the idea of a A male in authority that was going to punish me scared me to death. The first hint that a coach was mad or a male teacher was mad at me, I am like, my fight, flight, freeze is turned on, and I'm just going for safety. But one of the things that I've learned about my own life and Christian journey is that I became a Christian at the age of 15. Um, The things that I remember that drew me into my relationship with Christ were, were these things: one. Um, he would forgive my sin. And so at the age of 15, I was carrying a lot of just shame and guilt. Um, some of it was mine, and some of it belonged to other people in my life. I was carrying a lot of it, and just to, to hear that there might be somebody who could like, help me with that, I was like, oh, I want that. And so as I began to, to lean into our, this relationship with Jesus that I could have by faith, I, I learned that he, he referred to God as a father, I was like, I, I want that, I'll take some of that, and so that's what drew me into the faith, was just a relief, a sense of being set free from shame and guilt, and that there actually could be a good dad out there who would want me, and that was all true, and so I began to apply the truth of that gospel to my life at 15, and it began to just transform who I was in some remarkable ways and I moved forward in life and I carried that gospel with me and I applied it in real time. Situations would come up and I would apply the gospel. But what I had never done is to go back to 15 and apply it to life before that. I had just kind of shut the door on those first 15 years and tried to outrun it. And it hasn't been until the last two or three years that I've actually stopped and began to apply the gospel to the first 15 years of my life. I'll give you some examples. Um, It was about three, two years ago. I was driving um, out on I-30, and um, I don't have a ton of experiences in my relationship with God where I could say like, "I know He said it," kind of thing. But I know He said this to me. Um, I was actually praying in anger. I was working through some stuff in my story that happened when I was a kid. I was angry that my dad had to be this kind of person. I was angry that my dad was not part of my story. I was angry that I had to be the kid at school whose dad was in prison. I was just angry about all that. I was just letting God have it, letting it rip crying out, I was crying, I was angry and I was just praying all that and then I just stopped and I was bracing myself for the backhand right? I was bracing myself for okay here comes the licks that I've been waiting on nothing happened I began to slow down my breathing I began to kind of think about it and as I I just kind of lifted my eyes up and just kind of listened I could hear God saying to me, you're right, you didn't have a dad when you were growing up. I rescued you from him. And like I was able to see God's kindness in my story even before I became a Christian. And I was able to begin applying the gospel to my life before I was a Christian. That was just one example. And like, I'm 45 years old when I'm having this conversation. I was 30 years later and like the healing that comes from jesus will come to you as this well that doesn't run dry over a lifetime be weary of the the offer to fix it quickly to make it go away to help it like whether it's coming from a doctor or it's coming from the 7-eleven be leery of the temporary fix what peter is warning is that people have slid into the church you're sharing meals with them and they're drawing you away from Christ as Lord. They're drawing you away from the one who bought you with a price. They're drawing you away by lying to you and saying there's no final judgment. You know why? Because they they're scared of it. But you are God's children. So, so it kindles God's anger towards them. He words it this way. The end of verse three, their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. God is paying attention to those who harm you, those who exploit you, those who take advantage of you. Now, the last part of of chapter two, verses 20 through 22, talks about really how they, I think gives us some indication how they got into the church, okay, and so we'll just walk through this together, so verse 20 says, for if they um, have escaped the defilements of this world through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, so there's the question, Is like, they seem to have, like, been like us, they seem to have upheld the faith, like, this, that sounds right, But they are entangled again in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in mire what happened were they christians who then lost their salvation did they get sideswiped by satan and what happened i think the best answer to that question comes actually from jesus himself in matthew 13 he tells us what happened i think this will help us and understand what to do with this so in matthew 13 jesus is teaching um, this parable of the sower you may be familiar with this and he's teaching about um, the gospel is this seed that gets sown and not every heart that the seed falls upon um, actually springs forth in, into life and produces fruit matter of fact he says I'll give you some examples in the parable he says as the sower is sowing seeds some of the seeds fall on the path Okay, so that's that, 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 that kind of trail through the woods that's been traveled so frequently that it's packed hard and seeds just can't penetrate. He says right after the sower kind of passes by, the birds swoop in and pick up the seeds and head out. So the seed never has a chance, right, to, to pl- be implanted in the soil and then spring up into life. He said, well, some of the seeds actually gonna fall in the rocky soil and it's actually gonna spring up quickly and you're gonna go, oh, look, look look at the look that person's a christian the problem is there are really no roots because of the there's no soil because of the rocks it's going to spring up quickly but as soon as the sun starts to heat up guess what's going to happen to that plant it's going to burn up and be gone i think that applies definitely to what's going on here for these christians this the sun is the persecution that really tests whether or not the plant is rooted in the gospel of jesus but then he says there's another soil and this soil um, actually has some fertility to it but it's just full of thorns and thistles weeds so the seed that goes into that soil springs up but the thorns choke it out and so the plant again dies and is fruitless and then the fourth soil is the good soil and the seed falls on the good soil Its roots dig down deep into the gospel. It springs forth with life and it produces fruit. Some will produce a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. And so what I think Peter just described to us are a group of people, he's already called them greedy, who've been entangled in the thorns and the thistles. If you read in Matthew 13, just listen to Jesus' explanation of that parable. He says, In verse 18 of Matthew 13, he says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the words of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Hearing the gospel, but your heart is so hard you can't understand it, that's the path. That's the heart that's like a path. He says, this is what was sown along the path. Verse 20, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the world, immediately he falls away. There were a lot of people in the day and time that Peter's writing this who had fallen away. The heat of persecution just got turned up too hot. We were good with following Jesus when it didn't cost us anything. Now it's going to cost us. We're not sure that we believe it. Ironically, Peter has fallen to that. That was Peter at the cross, right? You know that. The persecution was too great and he denied Christ. But then he explains the, the next soil. Verse 22, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So these false teachers were exploiting these Christians who were vulnerable, who were unsteady, and they were doing it with greedy hearts for selfish gain. And so they may have claimed to have loved Jesus, but in reality they loved the world. And of course, the fourth soil is the good soil. This is the one who hears the word, understands it, and deep bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold and another 60 and another 30. This doesn't just black and white answer the question, once saved, always saved. And were these Christians and then they lost their salvation? I think Jesus would teach it this way. Hey, there's four different types of soil that the gospel is gonna land on and some are gonna spring up quickly and look like they're off and running. But don't be fooled. Some are going to spring up, but they've actually never taken their eyes off of the world. And so when it comes down to it, Jesus or the world, they're going to choose the world. And so more than likely, these false teachers fell into one or two or both of those categories. But at any rate, what Peter's getting to here is they've returned back to the life they had before Christ. They're miserable, they're under God's judgment. And they're trying to snare you and drag you down with them. So be aware of the false teachers. I want to end with just a kind of a summary here of what we've walked through so far today. Peter's warning us to watch out for false teachers who seek to infiltrate the church and lead people astray by promising freedom, while actually leading them into captivity. Peter says that these false teachers will preach seductive and destructive heresies and ultimately deny Jesus as our master. He's also warning us that these false teachers will take advantage of unsteady souls, luring them into temporary relief through sensuality that winds up enslaving them. They will teach that God isn't going to bring a future judgment which leads people to live however they desire. the good news of the gospel is that God delivers on his promise to give freedom and the commands of the Lord lead to life not destruction and in the final judgment those who oppose God and refuse to believe the gospel will be condemned but those who know Jesus will be saved that's the truth of the gospel you may be sitting there going man am I in danger I don't know Are you in Christ? You believe the gospel? Right? So I think for a lot of us, the struggle is to believe the gospel. We hear it. We walked an aisle and we prayed. But here's what the gospel says. If you believe in Jesus and trust in him, your sins are forgiven and you are made righteous. And that is your ticket into heaven. Refresher from last week. It's not your WWJD bracelet. You don't get to flash that at the pearly gates. I'm in. We made a joke in our community group. We were talking about that this week. And like, what happens if you went to the club the night before and you got that bracelet on one hand and you flashed the wrong bracelet? Like, no. It is only the righteousness of Christ that will get you in. That's the good soil. You believe in Jesus His judgment isn't something that you're scared of. It's something that you're thankful for because it comes out of his love for you. And it's aimed at God's enemies and your enemies. And God's anger is kindled against those who would seek to destroy you. That's good news. That's what a good dad does. And that's what your heavenly father is doing for you. want to end with a few questions for us to think about how then do we apply this to our lives take a minute to think about the different religious views and theologies that you've been exposed to Um, i haven't been on social media in like seven years oh my god what a horrible source for truth you'll get a lot of just goofy weird false theologies but you'll see some destructive stuff come across the feed too things that fit the description of what peter's talking about here maybe you've been involved in a church with false teachings destructive teachings just think for a minute in what ways have you experienced false teaching inside or outside the church on how to get to heaven one of the biggest false teachings that i've been exposed to in Texas, in the buckle of the Bible Belt, is the way to get to heaven is to be a good old boy. Man, if that's your ticket into heaven, good luck. That was sarcastic. Like, I hope that's not your gospel. That's a false teaching. Sorry, it won't work. You need something better than good old boy to get you into heaven. What false teachings have you been exposed to? before we go on the witch hunt in the church what false beliefs have you discovered in your own heart that you've needed to correct or change as you've discovered the true gospel before we go into judgment mode on all these you know, let's just think about our own hearts our hearts are prone to wonder as a Christian your view of God changes over time because it becomes more and more accurate you with me And so what false beliefs have you had to let go of in order to pursue the one true God? How do you feel about the coming judgment of God? Does it scare you? Does it paint a picture of God as just this big bully in the sky and he's just being mean? Or is it something you're looking forward to? when death will no longer have a say, when suffering comes to an end, when all God's enemies are made a footstool? Is that something you're looking forward to? How does the good news of the gospel give your soul comfort that leads you to be excited rather than fearful about Jesus' return? Next week, we're going to be looking at the new heaven and the new earth and looking more closely at that time together and in revelation 22 last chapter in your bible one of the things that you'll find there is this not it's more than an invitation it's actually a begging and a longing oh lord jesus come for those who are in christ that is the longing of our hearts oh lord jesus come So is the good news of the gospel give your soul that kind of comfort I want to spend some time praying for you our worship team is going to come out our prayer partners will be down at the front um, i love the opportunity just to hear more about where you are and your relationship with god if you need prayer our prayer partners will be at the front if you need a prayer room uh, space just to get away where it's a little quieter we have three prayer rooms out here first come first serve grab one of those take up some space there uh, if you need anything from an elder or pastor um, we'll be out in the commons. We wear uh, lanyards so you can kind of identify us if you're new here. Just be honored to, to pray with you or just hear about what's going on in your heart and life, answer questions about the church. But really, the, the, what I want to leave us with is, okay, what are we going to do with this? So I don't know how God's spoken to you today through this, but what are you going to do with that? And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, my, my, my plea with you is that you would take a step of faith towards Jesus today by simply praying in your own heart your statement of faith. Jesus, I believe. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave. I don't know much more than that, but I believe that. It's a fantastic starting point. So I'm gonna pray for us now as you get ready to respond and our worship team is gonna come out. They're gonna sing, lead me to the cross. And that's really what we wanna do in this space is we wanna move towards the cross now. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this warning. I've um, got a whole chapter here in this letter um, that tells us so much not just about false teachers but about your heart as a loving father god so many times in our everyday lives if we think about your anger and your wrath and your judgment we we become fearful um, because we lose sight of the gospel and god now that we are in christ we we've been rendered righteous and so we have nothing to fear Our names are written in in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's set in stone and we're on our way. Oh, dear God, as a church, I do pray that we would all take inventory on our own beliefs and our own theology and we would be willing to let go of any false teachings, false beliefs. Pray for our elders of this church that, God, you would give us what we need to protect the sound doctrine of the gospel. God, help us not to fight and divide over tertiary things and but to take that energy and hold fast to our primary doctrine, which is the gospel of Jesus. Lord Jesus, draw us to the cross now. We pray all this in your name. Amen.